Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Kalamba Games, where they build the world's most engaging slots. To find out more about their hit titles, promotional tools, and Bullseye Remote Gaming Server, visit kalambagames.com. I have the privilege of being friends with several of the guys over at Kalamba, and they are fantastic. And I'm not saying that to be invited to one of their legendary office pool parties. Um, or maybe I am. In any case, check out kalambagames.com. Rebel Status are an award-winning boutique headhunting firm within the iGaming space. They have been delivering recruitment and senior search assignments for more than 20 years with industry-leading guarantees and assessments. They are more than just headhunters, with an emphasis on long-term relationships and a foundation that has been built on quality, transparency, and relentless obsession with providing excellence. We, as IGM Next, have been using Rebel Status for our own recruitment, and they have always been great to us, so make sure to check them out. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders, this is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lint. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome to the iGaming Next podcast uh, today with Andy Fay. How's it going, Andy? Very well, thanks, Pierre. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Good to have you here, Andy. And um, so you're the eSport lead at uh, PwC uh, based in, uh, in the UK, and it's uh, quite interesting um, kind of title and, and, uh, and company that you work for. It's uh, a little bit contrasting in the sense that mm. Um, you know, you're not exactly an eSport pro as such, but you come in uh, to the eSports scene with a bit of a different perspective uh, here, which is what interests me today. So could you just start off a little bit, Andy, and talk a little bit of, uh, you know, why is PwC entering the eSports space and what is your uh, task in general with uh, working with as eSports lead? Yeah, it's, um, it's a really good point. We are very much, um, you know, it is a bit of a contrast with this market of, you know, video gaming and young demographics and, and all of that sort of cool stuff versus an old accountancy firm trying to sort of uh, be a part of this scene. So it is, it is a bit of a contrast. Um, but my, my role in it, it's, you know, is, is I've been looking around probably for about four years with eSports now and, um, and sort of lead our global efforts in that. And, and, and what that basically means is I kind of coordinate our network who are doing eSports activities in the sort of key hotspots around the world, like you know, China and other parts of Asia, Europe, North America, uh, where esports is big, and uh, and and done that sort of 
the first sort of couple of years entering this space was trying to really understand the market and what we'll sort of get across now is it's a very complex ecosystem it's got a lot of moving parts so it can be quite hard to follow at times um so it's getting under the skin of that and then trying to figure out where we as pwc a, a traditional accounting firm um fit in this space yeah fair enough and so so digging in a little bit deeper into this so how, what have your findings been so far like what have you learned during these four years yeah well it's you know the, the big learning point and and this is you know all your listeners or uh, who who understand this space or looking to come into this space will will equally be aware very soon is that you have to tread a bit carefully so right at the very beginning i was i was warned early on that you know the the community who are the you know the fans of esports who really underpin and the key drivers to the success or failure of this industry you know you have to kind of get them on side and equally you have to get you know, the organizations within this sector on side very early because these guys, you know, esports as, as we know it today have been around, I don't know, four or five years in its current form. But in reality, esports has been around for 20, 25 years. So you've got a lot of people in this sector now who have been through the blood, sweat and tears to get it to this stage in its development and are very protective and rightly so of their assets that they've now created. So for, you know, for the perceived outsiders to come in and, and, you know, throw their weight around really doesn't go down well. So we had to tread very, very carefully and, you know, learn about the industry, um, which takes a little bit of time. And then after that, we kind of figured out where we can add the most value in, you know, sort of working with the sector on deals and fundraising through to, you know, organizations wanting to activate in it on the sort of consultancy and strategic way yeah yeah fair enough and it's an interesting point you raise there as kind of coming as an outsider into this very particular and peculiar industry uh, that is uh, that has a lot of culture within it and and um uh, and so on and so forth and uh, this is actually my background as well i mean i was in the esports scene about 15 16 years ago as a semi-professional counter-strike player that was mm. uh, that was my youth you know like uh, many in, in in my generation and and it's um it's such a it, it's a relevant point that you mentioned because i i remember back then as well it was in its infancy esports at that time there was there were there were tournaments and there were prize uh, pools as well and, and there were people who 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 were competitive and uh, who could live off, out of esports but it was not uh, even close to what it is uh, uh, today obviously it, it it really exploded with like the uh you know the um the birth of twitch and uh yeah. kind of bringing on spectators and so on and, and so forth it's an interesting journey and the prize, pool, the prize pool you missed you missed the boat pierre the prize pool i missed the boat so much bigger <laughs> <laughs> well I, I you know once i once we actually won you know we won like 24 cans of uh, red bull you know and stuff like that i mean yeah. it's not to be it's yeah. not to be underestimated either no 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 yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. Give give some context to the prize pools and stuff. I mean, we hear this being thrown around a lot, but can you give some context to kind of what, yeah, what well, are I, they playing yeah. for these days? I mean, look, there's 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 no there's no getting away that there are some extraordinarily big prize pools out there. So you know, you've got the Dota Two International, probably the biggest prize pool, thirty five, forty million dollars. Uh, mm. You know, to be won over a course of a weekend. You know, shared between yeah. the, the the competing teams. 
So, you know, immediately, you know, the, the players there, you know, majority of that prize pool goes through to the players. So a, 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 a young kid of 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 can be a millionaire overnight, you know? Yeah. So, and, and then equally, we've seen that in, in Fortnite as well over the years. And, and equally, this player's salaries, are, you know, million, million dollar salary contracts, you know, particularly in Counter-Strike, you know, your, your old title. They command yeah. the top level players command some big big fees now, and that and that's that's the development over the last four or five years. There's been a lot yeah. of investment in the space, a lot more partnerships with commercial brands, a lot more maturity amongst all the organisations in the space, you know, teams, you know, the leagues, etc., which have allowed these um, salary increases to come about. Now, you know, absolutely, they are on par, and in some cases, bigger than some of the big traditional sporting events that, you know, get, get thrown around uh, regularly as a comparison. The slight difference, of course, is that in traditional sports, you have seasonal events and big, you know, infrastructured leagues of different tiers underneath top-level competition. In esports, yeah. it's quite different. You know, you've got these massive, big global tournaments like the Dota 2 International, like the franchise leagues that go on around the world, but then there isn't you know, the volume, let's say, of, of total traditional sports events. So, yes, as a one-off event, esports can be seen as being bigger. But when you look at it in its entirety at the top level, you know, there's still quite a gap between the traditional sport framework and, and esports. But it is closing. You know, esports is rapidly growing and more events are coming up all the time. Yeah, yeah, we, and we talked about this the other day. The fact that uh, Dota 2 International um, is uh, has a higher price pool than Wimbledon. I guess that's the the usual comparison. But uh, what you were saying is that uh, you know while while that price pool is bigger than the Wimbledon uh, in tennis, obviously you'll have another fifty tournaments uh, that also have exactly. incredibly high price pools. The ATP Tour and all of that. You've got four other majors yeah. or, th or three other majors that go on as well as Wimbledon. You know, so there, so there is a there is a big difference in that. You know, so I guess you know you could look at it. Mm -hmm. The total prize pools across the whole of tennis outweighs that of of Dota two. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Yeah, and you know, no, nonetheless, I mean, the 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 prize pool is still what it is in in Dota, and it's uh, there's obviously a, a massive interest uh, around the world to to follow uh, the top players and and the sport, and it's only uh, it's only being accelerated by the rise of Twitch and and uh, obviously. Um, this the rise of, of esports um, as a culture in, in general amongst the, the, mm -hmm. the kids and, and early adults. But uh, I would like to um, just talk a little bit about the, the rise and rise of esports. So, right, um, so from the gaming industry, which, which I am from, particularly since the pandemic, um, esports have been on everyone's minds, you know, especially when, when uh, the, there was no sports for a while, for a couple of months, the iGaming operators were looking, were looking very much towards esports as, um, as a savior, like that is uh, at least the esports could continue. And, and because of that, esports was uh, something that was discussed um, quite heavily and frequently within the iGaming industry. And, you know, there was this perception at that time that esports is exploding. This is since the pandemic uh, started, and I guess that is in some uh, in some context that is um, an accurate statement. But we talked the other day about you know we have to put things in perspective here as well. So can you give a little bit more context when we say when we talk about the exponential growth within esports uh, 
uh, how big is it? Uh, how fast is it expected to grow in the coming years? And what are the type of numbers that we are looking at here in general? Yeah, it's it's you know the num the, the numbers you know the statistics etc. A lot can be read into these that are a bit misleading, mm. but equally you know there's a lot of truth in a lot of the numbers. And um, you know if 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 you look at uh, on monetary value of the esports industry. It, it doesn't look so impressive. You know, you, you, we do a, um, or PDPC run an entertainment and media outlook report every year, which, which, which assesses the value of uh, the entertainment and media industries from, you know, traditional TV through to newspapers, through to video and, and video games, and esports is a part of that. And, um, you know, we forecast uh, last, when was it released? I think last summer, uh, that, you know, the, e the global esports market was worth 1.6 billion. Uh, today in 2021 and that's likely to be 2.2 billion in 2024 which actually you know as a, as a entire global industry it's okay it's nice but it's it's got decent growth each year but it isn't huge right however yeah. e w w where esports really has its value is esports is a key driver and a key component of the v much larger video games market the video games market, in comparison, in 2021 is about 140 billion, and by 2024 will be 177 billion, and and wow. the two are absolutely intrinsically linked. So when you see, you know, and, and, and I, you know, you brought up Wimbledon uh, tennis before, I sort of uh, align it to the fact that, you know, the whenever a top level esports competition is going on, like the Dota 2 International, like. Uh, League of Legends, um, uh, the LEC, the franchise league that's happening in Europe right now. Um, when these events are going on, the activity within those game titles in traditional video gaming market peaks and spikes. So you'll get, you know, while Wimbledon is going on, you'll get a lot of people pick their tennis rackets up, dust them off and go and play tennis for two weeks in, uh, in a tennis court. Then they won't play for the rest of the year. <laughs> gaming is no different you know people will do exactly the same and but the difference is they will continue to game throughout the year but what they will do while it's on they'll get that buzz the community drives it so there's a lot of chatter around it and therefore the video game market accelerates as well so the growth you know the growth trajectory of both is very similar and they drive each other there's no doubt about that so it's really you know when you're looking at esports you're also having a lie on the video game market at the same time, which is considerably bigger. It's bigger than video and uh, music put together, right? Yeah, the the yeah. video games, it's, it's enormous. It's incredible, yeah, how, how huge that that market is. And like you're saying, the esports and video gaming is um, intertwined. They are intertwined with each other. So when you're saying that um, yeah, esports is 1.6 billion and um, and the uh, video game, how, how much? 140, 140, 140, 140 yeah. billion. Uh, like you're saying, there is so much cross-sale uh, opportunities there for the for the video game industry, right? Mm. Where you know, take a game like Fortnite, then for example, when um, uh, when when they compete, they compete in a certain season, and uh, and then once that is finalized, and the next season starts, and you have to kind of buy that add-on, or you have to start a new season, and and obviously the players they need to then. Um, continue to do in-app purchases and and buy the exactly. next expansion and whatever it it might be. So the yeah. so that it's like an incredible like cross-sale opportunity for the video game industry to work uh, closely. I mean, it's the it's in their interest, right, that esports become 
as big it, as it comes. It's, it's you know, esports can be seen as you know, for for a publisher of a game, you know, great advertising for the game itself. Whereby for the esports industry, you know, it is that is the top level competition. There's also a huge grassroots market as well, where you don't have these huge big prize yeah. pools, but you have huge numbers of people playing very very low level competitive games with you know a huge yeah. huge audience because if you imagine you know, and, yeah. and it's still got massive room to grow so there's something like uh, i forget what it is it's about 2.7 billion gamers around the world you know it's reported that <laughs> one in three people are gamers and that's you know that, that, that includes you know mobile gaming you know yeah. i think of you know my parents my, my mother will play candy crush on the mobile, yeah, exactly. Right? She's a she's a gamer. <laughs> she's <right>? a gamer. <laughs> she's a gamer, whether she likes it or not. And you know, and and there's no difference with that. We know somebody kids playing Fortnite or you know adults playing in the Call of Duty, you know, competitions and and all of this. So, gaming, the gaming market and the people playing video games, massive, two point seven billion. Whereby the people that are engaged regularly with esports is about half a billion at the moment. So there's around you know, and you would class probably half of those as real enthusiastic esports, you know, viewers. So yeah. if you think there's only half a billion watchers of video games and who take part in that sort of social element versus, you know, nearly six times that of people that play video games. So there's a huge, even if they just double the audience size, it's only going to be a third of those that actually play video games. Yeah. So there's a massive market to continue to go after as far as viewership is concerned, which is really where, you know, back to the stats point before, where the real attraction to brands, investors, organizers, you know, traditional sports teams, it's that demographic and that, that audience that is the real impressive number. You know, it's, that's where people are really targeting because, you know, the demographic as well, you know, there's a lot of, you know, tw sort of 16 to 34 year olds within that sector. And that's, yeah. that's the attractive stat here. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 can, I can understand that as well. Because I mean, you know, half a billion people uh, engaged in the esports scene, um, you would still expect um, the, the, uh, the segment to be bigger than only 1.6 billion um, USD or, or euro pound or whatever um, uh, the, the currency is. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, looking at these numbers, half a billion people, the potential of another 2 billion people uh, potentially entering the space at some point. Um, I guess this is kind of um, the basis of the discussion today, which is, uh, you know, the topic is esports e a bubble, because I would, I would imagine that a lot of investors are looking at these numbers and they um, and they see the potential of this industry just completely exploding from uh, yeah what it is today to what it will be in uh, let's say five or ten years time um, and can, can you do, talk a little bit about uh, that so I have a friend um, Daniel is his name and he is the CEO of a Swedish Counter-Strike forum called Fragbyte mm -hmm. and um, he is lucky enough that he just made an exit the other week um, by uh, there was a, an I think it was an institutional investor who bought that company, and they are now looking to go public. Basically, uh, Fragbyte is the is the name of the uh, organization, um, and it seems to me, you know, looking in from the um, outside, that um, a lot of the valuations in these organizations are very very high compared to um, compared to. Uh, 
the earnings and the EBITDA that they have in uh, within the organizations. Uh, so it's it's almost I almost get the vibes of like the dot com era where a lot of industries wanted to get in early into the internet uh, room. A lot of investors wanted to get in early, and hence the um, prices uh, to uh, to buy themselves in uh, shot through the roof, and eventually the bubble burst and so forth. Mm -hmm. Can can you draw similar? Comparisons within the argument uh, within the esports space, or do you feel that um, it's not the same thing? Well, it's there's there's a risk, of course, with every investment that's made that it's going to be is it going to be the right or the wrong investment? Um, but when you're looking at investing in a market, you know, and, and you're looking at you know, and, and within the esports ecosystem, there are many different verticals to stick your cash as an investor. You know, there's teams, there's leagues. There's platforms. Yep. There's now a lot of social media platforms that are being developed around the esports communities. There are the service providers to all of this. There's the streaming. There's the broadcasting. There's a whole heap of stuff. So you know, it, it isn't just you know backing a team or a league and then just seeing how that fares. There's lots of opportunities. The 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 point around the bubble is one that's come up quite a lot, as you can imagine, and that's I think that's typical of any fast growth industry. You know, this industry's grown at, you know, was last year pre-COVID 18% year on year. It's now probably dropped about 14%, but it but it will pick back up again once COVID has, has passed us. And so there is that concern, of course, and there's the challenge that comes out. Having said that, the one thing that I think differentiates esports to the dot-com period of, you know, to 20 years ago is that, the community, the fans, are the ones that will decide if this is successful or not. And as I said before, there's half a billion of these already, and that's only growing. If you look at the numbers, it's continuing to grow. And there is a huge demand for competitive gaming, which ultimately is what esports is, right? It's the, the creme de la creme of gamers playing against each other. And for a lot of people probably watching, watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, We'll be thinking what people actually watch other people play video games that's crazy well actually you know these people will be video gamers themselves and they will know the game inside out and they'll know how difficult the game is to play and when they see these other people playing they really recognize the ability and the talent these people have and it's no different to traditional sports it's no different to people who play a little bit of part-time snooker and then they watch the TV or go and watch the Snooker World Championships. A lot of people find that hard to believe that people watch Snooker. But it happens, right? Because they really understand how talented these people are. And if you watch, and, and, and this, if you watch a professional esports player of any game playing, generally on the PC, they're like concert pianists. The speed at which they operate their hand agility, their brain-to-hand coordination. It's like, you know, a super fast game of chess. They're always thinking three or four moves ahead. And they're competing against somebody that is equally as fast as they are. And, and when you're watching this, you think, I could play for 100 years and I would never be able to be that talented that these people are. And so there's a, that's where this, you know, there's enthusiasm for this talent across the world watching it. And so... My view is on the future of esports is the bubble, the bubble won't burst. What may happen 
is we may over the next 10 years see different iterations of esports. It may evolve and change into something that the community are demanding, but the demand is there. The demand's not going anywhere. The genie's out the bottle and it won't go back in. There's a demand for competitive top level gaming and, and that's what it provides. And, the, and, and also the, where it's really strong, Yes, it can, it can, you know, COVID proved it, it can go online and a lot of esports competitions is online to begin with, then eventually will end up in a stadia or it completes online, particularly at the grassroots level. But if you go to a top level esports event, it's crazy. It's two, it's, it's two days or four days of just celebration of gaming. It's a phenomenal event. It, I sort of always draw the analogy, it's kind of a cross between the X Factor and WWE wrestling. It's this just circus. <laughs> it's a circus of entertainment in a big stadium with like-minded, enthusiastic people. Mm-hmm. And, it's a, and it has a great spirit about it. It's very different to traditional sports in that respect. There's a camaraderie, there's a funness. It's, it's just a great thing to be a part of. And that demand's not going anywhere. You know, that, that, that is here to stay. Yeah, and I, I guess what we are saying here is that it's kind of proof of concept. That is what the the industry have shown already that it is sustainable. Uh, you know, they are uh, they are able to retain the audience and they keep coming back to the stadiums. They keep audiences keep growing and so on and so forth. So, uh, so clearly, um, the industry has a future from uh, from that respect. And it's also something that I noticed. I went to actually the uh, the Counter Strike World Championships in Serbia. It was like. Four years ago, or something uh, with my with my friend Igor, we stumbled into uh, into the stadium uh, just to just to check it out. We happened to be in the in the city, and um, yeah, it is like you are you are mentioning. It, it is it's a new generation, you know, and the new generation is doing things differently, uh, and. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think also this is a little maybe this is a, a little bit tied in with the kind of the bubble discussion here because um, you know people from the um, the older generation and now I'm counting us as the older generation uh, here Andy um, we might not understand this um, uh, this um, this industry as well as um, the people who are raised in the industry uh, in the esports industry let's say and um, you know from an investment point of view you see you know maybe you see an opportunity and you want to get into this uh, esports scene and and you invest without maybe understanding the dynamics uh, perfectly of the industry because it's, it's very difficult to come in from the outside to the esports industry and kind of learn about it without being a kind of like a hardcore gamer at the same time I mean, maybe you can share your own personal experience with this. Like, how 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 has it been for you? Are, are, yeah. do, do you actively engage with the community, or or how? Do, maybe I'm wrong here as well. I mean, feel free to uh, correct yeah, me. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And um, you know, it's back to the point before. It's treading carefully, and if you're an investor, yeah. and we've and we've seen it, you know, where investments fail in this space is, yeah, people are taking a bit of a leap of faith, you know, and. You know, yes, there is a there's an element of that, I guess, when you're investing in any kind of startup or in this case, you know, startup industry. But there is there is there is there are some real serious businesses out there within the sector. There are some serious people. There's a maturity Mm -hmm. that has been realized over the last number of years that perhaps, you know, if you were looking at it four or five years ago, you wouldn't have seen. So organizations have definitely evolved. but it is, you know, for any investor, for anybody wanting to activate or, or check the space out from a business perspective, it's treading carefully and doing your homework first. 
and and, yeah. and that's exactly you know how we operate at PwC is you know it's more with the organizations less so with the community um because that's not you know we don't operate on that sort of level but if you're sponsoring stuff the community must engage with them and you must do it carefully because the community want the community will be the ones that say if it's a success or a failure and you can see yeah. some phenomenal activations you know that have been done in the past you mentioned red bull earlier red bull um dhl you know shell these do some fantastic innovative creative mm -hmm. innovations and activations within this space others that don't do that and don't engage properly don't have this sort of you know it gets banded around a lot authenticity when they're entering get found out pretty quickly by the community and, and almost yeah. kicked out so something about treading really carefully but i think the the thing that sort of encourages a lot about this industry and excites you know people and again you know you mentioned the sort of you know if our generation and even people younger than us you know struggle to understand this 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 concept of watching other people play video games if you consider that this is a perfect storm that has created developed over the last few years in that you know technology has improved considerably you know we've now got 5g coming in across the world that's only going to improve it so the key, you know, the, the big issue in gaming is time lag. You know, it, provided there's no lag, it's competitive. Lag is a real issue. So now that's better. Yeah. That that's a, the technology issue has gone away. So you've got the technology. Then you've got just better gameplay. You know, Counter Strike when you were playing 15 years ago is different today, right? It's yeah. a very different animal, and it's you know, so the gameplay across all major titles has just got incredible. You look at, you know, what they do, what Epic do with Fortnite. You know, they have concerts. You know, Marshmallow played a concert in front of over a million people in the game of Fortnite, and people turned up in their avatars to yeah. watch it. You know, those kind of creative things are just phenomenal, and that's what the games, the publishers, developers are doing in conjunction with the community who are telling them what they want. So the games evolve yeah. at the behest of the community. So you're, you, know, you can only fail if you don't listen to the community. If you listen to them, it does well. And the third thing, which is really the, the thing that glues all this together, is particularly you know, all generations now live a social media life. And you know, whether, whatever platform that is, people are engaged in some way or shape or form on social media. Esports and gaming through Twitch, as you mentioned before, Pierre, is all about social media, social gaming, it's social interaction, albeit through a platform. So if you're playing Fortnite or if you're playing Call of Duty, you're generally mic'd up to your team who could be dotted anywhere in the world, or you know, likely if you're playing in school or university, they're in other other houses around the neighborhood. But you're connected. If you're watching this stuff on Twitch or YouTube or whatever. You're communicating all the time with your network within that within that platform. So the way, and it's the same at the end of the live events. Everybody's got one eye on the competition that's going on, but the rest of their attention, probably more of it, is on the community and the and what's going on in the stadium at that time. Whereby in traditional sports, everyone's focused on the game, focused on the game, and they get upset if they lose and happy if they win in esports it's the taking part and being there that is the main attraction so when you bring all those three things together 
it's a perfect storm which just facilitates the growth in esports. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting, you know, how, um, you know, we, we look uh, from our lenses, uh, our cultural lenses and compare it to football or compare it to other sports. But, it, you know, to some to some extent, this is a completely different animal. But um, that kind of begs the question a little bit, you know, um, uh, esports is still a niche in the sense that um, it's not a mainstream televised um you know the international in dota 2 is not um, a mainstream televised uh, show for the that the entire world can enjoy just like the world uh, just like wimbledon for example mm-hmm. um and and you know i i mean you know me and my friends we can watch wimbledon without being tennis players and enjoy what we are seeing we still understand uh, we still understand the tennis we understand the beauty of it and so forth and i think um in in the sense of esports, it seems to me to be a little bit more ring fenced around the audience that actually are engaged in esports, and that's what we talk about now as well. You see that it's a community thing, right? That uh, people within the community are very engaged to watch the pros play and so on and so forth. Um, do you see that as a um, kind of like a hindering block for esports to truly become mainstream? What does it take? You know, because if you you know, if I look at Dota, I'm not uh, my friend Don. He's a great Dota player. He plays it. We used to be roommates. He used to play every day. And but for me, if I look at Dota 2, I, it's um, uh, you know it's like Chinese to me. Um, <laughs> so so how what does it take for esports to become truly mainstream, or is that even a relevant question? Well, it's you know it, it depends who's asking that question, because if that question comes from the community, the community's response to that question rather would be, why do we need to be mainstream? Why do we need to be We've got our platform, it's online. That's how we, why do we need to be on traditional TV? Their view is they don't. Traditional TV, on the other hand, may want esports on their platform for, to get new generations, et cetera, watching, their, watching their, uh, their content. So it could be, you know, it's a bit like the Olympics. You know, there's a lot of talk about esports being part of the Olympics, although that, that seems to be ruled out for the foreseeable future. But if you ask the esports community that, the esports community will be saying, the Olympics needs us. We don't need the Olympics. Now, that might seem a bit arrogant, but actually they have this community on this platform online existence, which is part of the reason why a lot of people don't see this on a day-to-day basis because it's kind of happening over there somewhere online and not on TV and not on you know, mainstream media channels that you would recognize. But if you go on Twitch, if you go on YouTube now, video gaming is everywhere from influencers, celebrities, traditional professional sports people are big gamers and, you know, and, and live and have another life away from their, you know, celebrity lifestyle that is, that is gaming. And so I think, you know, what the, whether esports ends up on traditional TV It'll be esports that decide that. I think. I think they will decide if they want it, if they need it, rather than yeah. the other way around, because there's plenty of growth potential where they are at the moment, and I think they'd be quite happy with that. And I think just yeah. back to you, you know, your point around Dota, and, and again, this is without getting too technical of the of the of the makeup of this ecosystem, but it is complex. Is that you've got you know something like Dota Two, which is which is an open title. So you or I could enter tournaments tomorrow. We'd be pretty rubbish. We wouldn't get very far, but we could. 
there we'd are other fun. times. Yeah, we'd have fun, right? And um, and but we, but that's available. You know, we could try and qualify for the international for a thirty-five million dollar prize pool. That's available for us. But other titles, such as League of Legends, Counter um, Strike to a degree now, Call of Duty, Overwatch, these are all franchise leagues at the top level. So there is a price to pay to enter that that spot. So as a player like us, we have to become very good and get signed by a team to be able to play in that, like in traditional sports. But equally, if you're a team, if you're an owner of a team, you need to probably in the future have quite a lot of money to buy in to one of those franchise leagues to the extent they expand or you take over a team that's already in existence there. So that sort of franchise model is kind of settling down, which for me, my view is that's only good for the industry because you've got a structure there to build upon and create narrative and competitive stories and, and, and build a bit of a legacy, whereby in the open system, it's a bit more free-flowing. You know, teams come and go very, very quickly. Um, investors come and go, brands come and go. But in the franchise model, it's a bit more solid. However, you, you, that's at the expense of a sort of rags-to-riches story that is quite hard to come by in that respect. But it still, you know, it still gives a fantastic spectacle in both sides of the argument. And there is definitely room for both, franchise and open. Um, but over time, you'll start to see more of that structural framework come across the ecosystem. Yeah, super interesting, uh, Andy. There, there's so much to talk about uh, in the, on this uh, topic. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, we're going to start rounding off a little bit uh, now. And I want to end um, today's podcast a little bit to uh, just uh, draw the comparisons between uh, esports and uh, iGaming, obviously the industry that uh, that I come from. So I spoke about before that the iGaming industry has kept a very close eye on, uh, on esports in general. There are many uh, operators who are uh, signing big sponsorship deals. There's Parimatch, for example, who uh, who signed Fnatic, which is one of the biggest Swedish esports teams uh, the other week, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, they are entering the um, uh, the space uh, uh, quite aggressively, and and so are others as well. Pinnacle is another um, uh, example of that. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of um, for an an um, an uh, iGaming operator? What are the um, kind of threats and opportunities uh, that you see? Uh, to enter the esports uh, scene, yeah, I, I think it's. I, th I think there's two two things to consider. One is the same, which is equivalent to every brand from every industry coming in, and that is, as I said before, how you engage the community when you come in, because without them on your side immediately, you, you're going to fight yeah. a very tough battle. So there's something about doing a slow activation, a slow, authentic, market-driven, community-driven activation. The second thing, of course, is, you know, with, with iGaming, you have the, um, I guess, the issues around the demographics, the age of the demographics. So you have to trade carefully there. You have to make sure that, you know, you're targeting the right profile of games. And you mentioned Pinnacle before, which is interesting, because leading up to COVID, or let's say 18 months ago, um, you'd be very you'd be hard pushed to see many gambling operators being successful in esports. And that was either that they were getting, you know, no, sort of doors closed to them in, in entering the space um, by publishers, ultimately, who own all the IP in this space. So ultimately what publishers say goes. 
But then there was, I sensed a sort of a sea change leading up to COVID. So it wasn't necessarily COVID driven, but more gambling operators and platforms were entering the space. And so publishers were allowing this. And then equally, you know, various commissions around the world were equally allowing this. And then COVID came, which accelerated this, you know, because, you know, during COVID, there weren't many markets for people to bet on and esports all of a sudden became the one thing that was available uh, for for people in that in that space, so that so that that accelerated, and then Pinnacle became the lead sponsor of uh, the Flashpoint League in North America, which is a Counter Strike tournament. Which you know, Valve is the um, is the publisher there. It's the first time a betting a, a industry a betting industry operator was able to have such a flagship sponsorship, and that was the first one. And then following that, many more, as you say started to open up but there is certainly a um you know like in everything there's a young demographic at play here um a very young audience in some titles so you have to be very choosy around which games you would focus your attention on you know call of duty counter-strike league of legends dota all sort of age-appropriate games then you when you're then looking at fifa rocket league Fortnite, you start getting into younger demographics so there could be community pushback there. But I think the, the main, you know, anybody entering the space from whatever industry you're in, it's the publishers that ultimately hold the keys. So, there, so that's, you know, there is a big stakeholder there to make sure you get on board. So it's, um, it, it, the, the, I would say there is more opportunities now than there ever has been, but definitely people have to tread carefully. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that kind of summarizes, I guess, the uh, uh, esports in general. Like thread carefully, like you said, it's all about authenticity, and the um, the younger generation see through brands very like much easier than uh, what traditionally has been been done. I think, and I, I think that's kind of the the paradigm shift in in that space. In a sense, is the fact that um, uh, you need to go in. Um, uh, understanding the scene much uh, much deeper than uh, perhaps yeah. other industries of football or, or whatever, knowledge, which are more generic. Power. Yeah, knowledge absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant, Andy. Uh, so I have one last question for you. Sure. Uh, are there any scene like how would you say like are there any um, uh, any any leagues for the senior people <laughs> for for the <laughs> for the seniors that we can consider entering? <laughs> Do you know what there are? There are. There are, yeah, good. there are certain platforms out there that offer very low-level competition for rubbish players like us. Uh, all right, that's good. That's good. So there's still a chance. There's still a yes, chance. You know, still a chance. <laughs> Might take a, a number of hours and a career change, but yes. Exactly. Good, Andy. Thank you so much for uh, for today. It's been a pleasure having you on. So uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. And, pleasure. Um, yeah, we have to follow up this at some point. Uh, Forty minutes of this was uh, not enough. So yeah, thank you so absolutely. much, and have a good day. Pleasure, Pierre. Thank you.